In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This morning, among the things we did in the, in the, in the chronic service, I took the cross, I held the cross on high, and wrapped the hands of the bride and groom in the stole. The stole is the symbol of the authority of the church. It's the stole that's put on your heads when you're forgiven your sins by the church. It's a symbol of the authority of the church. The deacon comes out at the beginning of the litany. He raises his stole and says, let us pray to the Lord. The church in her authority summons us to prayer. So the stole is a symbol of the authority of the church. It was a symbol that what the church bound together this morning was bound together by God. It was a consecration. And especially it was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We've had two weddings since I've been here. We've had two weddings on Pentecost. So I've had some chance to reflect on. It's a very simple theological fact that marriage is a gift of the Holy Spirit. The bride and groom are sealed together in the Holy Spirit. It's when we say, when we declare that marriage is a sacrament. Because all the sacraments are channels of the grace of the Holy Spirit. A very holy thing happened here this morning, which is why the Orthodox Church, marriage always takes place at a prayer service. You don't just walk in, say vows, and leave. Because strictly speaking, they're not even they're the recipients of the sacraments. The sacraments are always come from God. The really operative force this morning is the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I took the cross, I raised it on high, and I wrapped their hands in the stole. And we have this table out here. In the Orthodox Church, anytime you have a you can, you have a Greek name for something. But we can't call it the trapeza because it's a, that means the table in, in the dining room. So they call it a tetrapod. All it means is it has four feet. On that table was the gospel book. Okay. On that table was the gospel book. Vladimir and Alice joined hands, but it wasn't just them joining hands. It takes three to get married, man and woman in the church. They joined hands, and their hands were sealed together by the authority of the church. And they started to walk around that gospel book. Those are their first steps as a married couple. They processed three times around that gospel book, 
while Anthony's crew were over here singing, Rejoice, O Isaiah. What a wonderful thing to be singing. You take your first steps as husband and wife, but you walk around the Gospels. To walk around that Gospel book is to say that the Gospel is the center of your life, and everything revolves around the Gospel. The Gospel is first. Before anything else, the Gospel is first. And what is the initial gift the Holy Spirit gives us? It's faith. It's faith. Faith in the, in the Gospel. I held the cross on high, and they followed the cross, circling their lives around the Gospel. Now, that was an act out in a dance. Fact is sometimes called the dance of Isaiah. They acted out in a dance. What they're going to be doing for the rest of their lives. Walking together hand in hand, following the cross, their lives centered on the gospel. The correct posture, the correct stance for Christian marriage is not a man and a woman looking at one another. It's a man and a woman standing side by side and going in the same direction. I don't see you can't ever look at one another, but you get the... It's, this thought, it's not just about you two. Something much bigger much more massive in process here. To say that you take your first step in faith is an understatement. You can't even imagine. But your home is going to be a home of faith, and your chief responsibility for the next, well, for the rest of your life. Your chief responsibility is to raise your children in the faith. I've been reflecting late. The relationship between faith and creed. And I don't think I've ever explicitly thought of it before this past week. The priority of the faith to the creed. It's a terrible thing when we hand on the creed, but we don't hand on the faith. We have a formula, and that's what we hand on, but the faith isn't handed on. And I've watched it happen past almost, almost half a century that I've been a minister of the gospel. I've seen the creed handed on more often than the faith. It is imperative, my brothers and sisters, and I say this to all of you, but I'm saying it in a special way to you too, but to everybody here. It's imperative that the faith be transmitted, not simply as a given, but as something thought through, as something that actively 
engages the mind. The creed must be perceived as the concern of the greatest moment, as it was in the time of Nicaea. I mean, they really took the creed most seriously in those days. According to St. Jerome, men argued about the homoousios while they were getting their hair cut. Not like any barbershop I know. It was something of immense, immense importance to them. The creed must not become simply an accepted formulary, but as something to fight and die for, or at least a concern deserving the best and the highest resources of the mind. Nothing, my beloved, is deader that an inherited creed that people simply accept and never think about when it is received only when it receives only a torpid acquiescence and the vigor of the mind is never engaged with it when a creed is received outside the mind outside the mind where the words the words come out of the lips it isn't one doesn't believe it. He hasn't even thought about it, whether or not he believes it or not. He's just saying it. This was brought home to me in a most striking way the first year that I was pastor of a, a church in Oklahoma City. The official name of the church was Church of the Resurrection. The bishop always called it the Church of the Insurrection. At least when I was pastor, he did. I went to visit a man in our parish, quite a bit older than I, prob probably 30 years older than I, and I can't hardly believe he's alive now. He was a former senior warden of the parish. He had been on the Commission on Ministry for the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. And I went over to see him. He was at the 8 o'clock Mass every Sunday. We had three Masses at, at um, at Church of the Insurrection. He was always at the 8 o'clock in the front row and never missed communion. Went to see him. And he said, uh, Father Reardon, I'm having a lot of trouble with you. I said, oh, you're in the majority. I said, can you spell that out a little bit so I know exactly what I need to be working on? He said, he said, you actually believe all this stuff. I said, what stuff, Ed? He said, the content of the creed. And I sort of took a deep breath. I said, you mean one God, Father Almighty, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ? And he said, yeah. I said, Ed, tell me what you believe. He said, I think there's probably a God. But if there is, he's never had anything to do with this world. He made it. 
put it out there, and then went on about his business. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, there's good historical evidence he existed, but that's not very significant, except he was a teacher and taught us how to behave ourselves. At this point, I was disposed to give Ed a chance to turn the other cheek as I slapped him up the first. <laughs> However, I invoked the Holy Spirit to restrain my arm. When I was raising my children and they'd misbehave, I invoked the Holy Spirit to strengthen my arm. <laughs> I said, Ed, you stand in the front pew every Sunday at 8 o'clock Mass, and you come forward, and you receive Holy Communion. Has it ever crossed your mind that you're eating and drinking damnation to yourself? Well, he didn't want to hear any of that. I mean, that's the most inconvenient thing to hear, that tell somebody, you are on your way to hell. Now, I said it as nicely as I can, but I don't know how to sweeten that message up too much. I said, Ed, tell me what you think this means. What is this all about? His son, by the way, is a priest. He said, religion is a good thing. It keeps us in line. It restricts people from being too avaricious, too selfish, all the terrible things. But that's all it's for. And the content of the creed is simply a metaphor for how to get along through this world. Now that, my brothers and sisters, was an honest response. He was cold. He was not hot. He was cold. But at least he was not lukewarm. He did not believe and admitted he did not believe. He had done enough thinking about the creed to know that he didn't believe it. Never quite occurred to him that he could sleep in on Sunday mornings which is certainly what I would have done if I believed what he believed. Far more common, I believe, is to receive the creed outside the mind. I say that because the evidence will support it. How little thought is actually given to the content of the creed, what it says and what it means. When the creed is received outside the mind, it means it never connects itself with the inner life of the human being. A creed that never instructs the conscience. Now, it's a terrible thing to transmit a creed that is, in fact, devoid of faith. A creed that does not engage the reason. A creed empty of intellect. A creed never permitted to address and structure the conscience. A creed never encouraged to hold discourse with literature and history. A creed innocent of imagination. A creed that inspires no poetry, no song, and invokes no radical moral resolve. A creed mainly expressed in inherited custom and ethnic prejudice. 
This is to hand on a creed without living faith. It is important, my beloved, not to hand on a dead faith, but a lively faith. Vladimir and Alice, your children, every day, every day should be seeing examples that you are a believer, seeing evidence of it. They should see you making your decisions on the basis of the content of that creed, directing the structure of your family life, your finances, your recreation, your social conduct, everything on the basis of what is in that creed. This will be a faith that actually informs the content of the mind and strengthen the resolve of the will. A faith that serves as the foundation stone of decisions. A faith that structures our daily lives in the steady application of prayer and the quest for God. When you wake in the morning, let the first word to come from your lips be the name of Jesus, the only name under heaven given men by which we must be saved. Lest the first bodily act will be the sign of the cross. Put yourself under the cross from the first minute you wake up and start to center the gospel for your day. This will be a faith that lays hold of the truths by which we live and die. A faith flowering forth and bearing fruit in wisdom. Again, I wish for you this morning, in addition to eternal life, in addition to eternal life, is that you live to see your children as children in peace upon Israel.